right. <laughs> this is the A. I'm Reg Clay, and uh, Norman G would normally be here, but uh, he is working. He's teaching the kids, and uh, I'm with a uh, fantastic guest. You know, I never knew you were, uh, Jake, I want to say Kroengold, but I have a feeling I'm pronouncing it wrong. You are exactly pronouncing it wrong. It's Kroningold. Kroningold. Jay Kroningold, uh, a veteran actor, uh, and you will be in All the Way, which is uh, being uh, produced at the Contra Costa Civic Theater. Uh, you and I know each other because we uh, were in Candide together. That was at the DMT, the Douglas Morrison Theater. You're an actor. I think you're a creative as well. You, do you also, um, and you're a singer. I'm a singer, an actor, and also a vocal music director mm -hmm. at the theater. Right on. Yep. And uh, you've done work in uh, New York, and I'd love to hear your New York days. Uh, you were there, you know, much earlier than when I was there. I was there in the late 80s, and I believe you were there late 70s, early 80s? I was born and raised. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. I'd love to hear some New York stories. New York stories. How many days do you have? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, New York, um, well, it's still there. Any time I go back and before I even get into the city, yeah. my feet touch the airport ground. Mm -hmm. I'm back. Already there's, there's electricity at my feet. So, yeah, I, you can't take the New York out of the New Yorker. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, your co, your co, um, your actor as well, uh, Kari Moore, he's also a native New Yorker. Who, um, I oh, don't know if you it? knew that. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> He'll be playing uh, Dr. King in All the Way. And uh, what role will you be playing? I'll be playing uh, three roles, um, but the, the, main, the main role is uh, Senator... Howard Judge Smith. Okay. I'm going to get the uh, tea. We're having hot tea, so the tea's whistling. Hold on for just a second. Sure. All right. I'm going to refill your pot. Thank you. Um, so so the, the character is uh, Senator Howard Judge Smith. He's not a judge. He's mm -hmm. been nicknamed a judge, and historically, even after some research, I can't find out why. But uh, he is extremely judgmental, if that's why. But he was a Democratic uh, senator from Virginia. And, and was he antebellum southerner? Was mm -hmm. he one of those? Okay, yeah. Go one ahead. of the Dixiecrats. Yeah. And uh, so that's – it's a small part. A lot of us have small parts. The key parts of this are, of course, Lyndon Johnson and uh, – Martin Luther King, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, all the quote-unquote notables uh, are there. Yeah. And the rest of us fill in portions of, of what went on during that period, whether it's the senators or it's uh, the FBI or SNCC or mm -hmm. the Southern Listing Christian Leadership Conference. Right. Uh, so and we all kind of fill those roles. For those who don't know what SNCC is, that's the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a fantastic um, moment in time. And it sounds like all the way is focusing on really the passage of the, um, the Civil Rights Act of 1964. It is. Um, it, the play opens with the, uh, the day that uh, John Kennedy was assassinated. And it closes when 11 months later... Lyndon Johnson actually wins the election as mm -hmm. opposed to becoming the president. As right. War. When I went to City College in New York, um, I can clearly remember the day Kennedy was killed, but I also knew uh, Michael Goodman mm -hmm. and uh, Mickey Schwerner. That's right, the three who were killed in the yeah. South. Yeah. Uh, yeah, one. Uh, Getting his name at the moment, Cheney. Cheney, yes, was from the South. Yeah, but the other two were from New York and were from City College, where I went. Yeah. I didn't know them well, but I, I knew who they were. Wow! And Stokely Carmichael, when I was a member of SNCC back then, it was just you were a member of SNCC. I was. Wow, that's fantastic! So not yeah. only it's it's because you know all of your cast members, a lot of them are just reading the history, but you were part of it. It was, yeah, it, it was a time. You didn't even realize how big a time it was. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the summer that um, some of us went down to Mississippi to teach in freedom schools. Wow, wow. And uh, there was a friend of mine at the time walking home one night to where he was staying. Mm -hmm. uh, was shot in the back from 
somebody sitting up on a rooftop mm. someplace. Fortunately, she was just uh, mildly hurt, and she nothing serious happened to her. But we got out of there in, in several days. Wow. And at that very time, the, the guys were killed. That's th- that's amazing. You know, I talk to my dad all the time. The civil rights movement, that's something that I love. It's a subject matter I love talking about. I mean, it's the reason why I wrote my play, Foreman in Paris. But it's also the reason why plays like All the Way is being produced. We're seeing a lot of plays that are focusing on social issues, uh, issues that are happening now, but also happen in, in history. But, you know, it's it's prevalent now because although things aren't as tumultuous or rather, I would ask you, do you think things are, are more tumultuous now in 2019, or were they more in, in you know, 1964? I think they were better disguised in 1964. Hmm. I mean, there were things that were obvious, and people who bothered to do research and read and so forth uh, became aware of the kind of things, of manipulations and backroom deals and so forth that went on in government, sure. uh, as well as the corporate world. Now it's exposed more, but in terms of things changing a whole lot in 60 years, I don't think so. It's a shame. You know, I, th- I talk about um, racism and um, how people can just hate. Um, of course, people weren't being assassinated. I mean, it just seems, you know, I mean, you lived during the time. 63, Kennedy was killed. 65, right. Malcolm X was killed. Right. April of 60. As a matter of fact, uh, we're doing this April the 3rd. Tomorrow will be the uh, the anniversary of King's death. Uh, That was in uh, 68. That was April 68. June 68, Bobby Kennedy was killed. I can't imagine living through a time of assassination. Um, Yeah. yeah. You don't – the term getting used to it is ridiculous. But uh, it just started to be something that – you wonder who's next. Yeah. It, it, the Stixies were an amazing time to live through. through. Yeah. Not, not a good time, just startling. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and, of course, there was the music as well. Um, and, you know, we can even – uh, usually I do the current events. There's not a lot of current events. I mean, we have the first uh, African-American and the first lesbian uh, black mayor in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happened, I believe, last night. So that's a wonderful thing. It shows there's some progress. A lot of times when you have people on and I talk to them about how do you feel in the days of Trump, you get a lot of maudlin and a lot of uh, very uh, sad um, reactions. It's like, oh, my God, it's just so horrible. I still feel that America is far more liberal and far more um, um, receptive to uh, diversity. And maybe because I'm in maybe I'm in a bubble because I'm in San Francisco. But um how do you feel? I mean, just this is just an overall question. How, how do you, how what is life in like in the day of in in the era of Trump? How's it for you? Well, I live with the expectation that each day there's going to be something new in the media that our dear president has spoiled, gone up against, changed his mind about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've come to expect daily annoyance. Yeah. If nothing but, if not fear. Yeah. By certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about uh, the assassinations, and this is a not a purposeful segue, and not to talk about me, but it's okay. It, I'm just thinking about how the assassinations affected me in New York as an actor. Yeah. Um, when I was in New York, I was cast in a show, an off-Broadway show, a small show, and I, I, I hesitate to tell you yet what it was about. But anyway, mm-hmm. the show was uh, uh, grew in terms of cast. It went from 11 people to 30. Wow. And it was booked into the Majestic Theater in New York to go in after Funny Girl mm. left the theater. And, but I'll just tell you what happened. It, the play was about Robert Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, excuse me, the play was about Ted Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And uh, just before we went into rehearsal, and the show went equity when we went into uh, the Majestic Theater. Mm. When when that happened, that summer is the infamous accident at Chappaquiddick. Oh, Ted Kennedy. that's right, yeah. 
the backers pulled their money out of the show. Wow. The show never opened. Mm. It never even went into rehearsal. Wow. But I got my card. <laughs> <laughs> you got something out of it. Yeah. yeah. Out, that and a contract whose paper has turned yellow. Since <laughs> this, uh, uh, I thought you were going to say McBird. Do you remember McBird? McBird. No. McBird was a, a parody of Macbeth, but about Lin, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. Uh, basically, it was uh, created, I think it was probably created here in San Francisco by uh, a group of folks who, of course, were um, Kennedy Democrats, uh, young, you know, hippie folks who um, did not appreciate Lyndon B. Johnson being president and sort of coaxed uh, Lyndon B. Johnson as if he were Macbeth assassinating, you know, Duncan or Kennedunk. And all of a sudden, Kennedy plays uh, Duncan. Um, creating Lyndon B. Johnson as this, you know, nefarious character. Mm-hmm. And McBird got, you know, a bit of a run. Um, but no, no, the, your your production had nothing to do with Sorry that. Sorry, I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, many people may remember McBird. We might as well get into an origin story. So uh, Jay Cronengold, um, born and raised in New York. I don't want to reveal your age. We've had a couple of older folks. I think the oldest person we've had is a guy named John Hutchinson. Well, you've already categorized me as older. <laughs> <laughs> older? Um, we've had a lot of millennials, uh, a lot of folks who are like, wow, what is a rotary phone? And, you know, and <laughs> and, and all that. But um, John Hutchinson, he's 82 years old, and he told me, you know, he remembers the fireside chats. He remember listening to it on the radio. I don't think you're that old. I'm not that old. <laughs> but um, what was life growing up in New York? You know, uh, the more I look back on it, the more wonderful it was. I, you know, I grew up uh, middle class. I was surrounded by middle class, uh, low to middle class. Um, it, New York was fun. Hmm. You always heard. I grew up in the Bronx, okay, uh, which was was int- interesting. Just a sidelight about the Bronx. There's a, a Manhattan tour, the Circle Day Line, the boat mm. that goes around Manhattan, mm-hmm. uh, their brochure used to say, it started about 9 o'clock in the morning, at around 11 o'clock it would say, you are now passing the Bronx, this is a good time to have lunch. <laughs> and that kind of said... In other words, forget about the scenery. <laughs> there is none. Uh, but uh, we had, you know, we had fun. We yeah. did, you know... Playing stickball, you know, going to school, mm. doing pranks. Uh, uh, I had my r- minor, minor run-ins with the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, was, Mickey, was Mickey Mantle um, big back then? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was. Not in my book because I was a Dodger fan. Okay. Yeah, a, a raging Ebbets fan. When, in fact, when the Dodgers left New York, I gave up, if not only baseball, mostly sports. Mm. Liked to play them, but yeah. lost my interest. Yeah. Uh, growing in New York was, was great, and my mother loved the theater. Mm. Uh, my father liked if it was a musical that was okay. Mm-hmm. He used to say, I want to be entertained if I go to the theater. <laughs> I don't want I, – I, there's enough of life. Yeah. But my mother was more flexible than that, so wow. I yeah. got exposed to lots of theater as a kid, which is, you know, great to have had that. Cool. Do you have any siblings? I don't. Okay. I Only don't. child. Only child, I think they – probably had enough when I was born. <laughs> I grew up an only child. I'm now the oldest of four, and I remember just uh, being um, very introspective, a lot of solitude. Um, of course, you know, it's great in Christmas time because all the presents are yours. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, I didn't even ask if you're a Christian or a Jewish. I mean, we've had some uh, Jewish. I am Jewish. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, now, I'm also thinking, because I'm sure you grew up at the time where television was just sort of in its infancy, um, uh, around the 50s. How, what was it like, I bl- the I early days of television? The early days of television in my house, and my father was in the furniture business, so I remember he had this cabinet made that could have, I think a small person could have lived in it. Mm. But it was, um, that was the TV was set into it. And the first things I can remember watching were the McCarthy hearings. Wow, that's right. I had no idea what they were about. Yeah. But I can still see his face sitting at a desk questioning people. Joseph McCarthy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I thought that those were uh, – because I know the movie theaters would sometimes show newsies uh-huh. where uh, you would see – News of the day, news yeah. reels. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and there was also uh, Edward R. Murrow, See It Now. And um, That I used to watch. I was a little older then to watch that. that yeah. Yeah. Because he was one of the ones who, there's a wonderful movie, Good Night and Good Luck, uh, which 
talks about that time. It was a well-done movie. I forget the name of the actor who played it, but he was... J- I want to say Jason Stratham. Um, but, but yes, yes, you're absolutely right. But those folks, and it was produced by George Clooney, who was also in it. And, um, yeah, it's fantastic. It's great history if you're interested in that. And that was Robert Downey pre-Iron Man, <laughs> before yeah. he became a superstar. It was a good, a good show to watch to see why you should never smoke cigarettes. I think he consumed <laughs> a pack during each show. Well, back then, Fred Flintstone was selling cigarettes. That's <laughs> Winston's, I think they were. Hmm. Um, were you involved in theater when you were young? No. Well, I, the, the first inkling I can remember of anything associated with it was uh, Mrs. Van Buren, who I think was related to Martin Van Buren, the 10th president. Well, the 8th president, yeah. Is it the 8th? Yeah. Okay. Um, I remember standing in front of a third grade class with my little soprano voice singing. I don't know what that was related to, how mm-hmm. I got in front of the room. I just can see myself or feel myself still standing in front of the room, embarrassed as hell, not knowing what I was doing there. But that's when I started singing. Wow, <laughs> cool. So I wasn't involved in theater, per se, in New York, mm-hmm. except for the very short bit of time. I was involved as a singer. Yeah. I did a choral work. I sang at um, a lot of open mics in Manhattan, mm-hmm. which were really good because the singers opened for comedians like um, Robert Klein, David Brenner, uh, 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 Jay... Oh, what is his name? Thin, skinny. Hmm, now I can't remember. Uh, you'd, you'd know the name in a second. Um, not Robin Williams because he was on the West Coast. N- not Leno, right? No. Okay. At least not me. Yeah. Um, but a number of uh, p- comedians who, who really have made it and have big, big names. Yeah. Uh, and they those guys really deserved it because I, when I was down there, mm-hmm. you'd see, if they were going to be on The Tonight Show. Yeah. They'd come in with tape recorders, and night after night, five, six nights in a row, they'd do their routines, mm-hmm. redo them, redo them, redo them, until they finally went yeah. on Carson's show, whoever show they were Sure. Going. They got to refine their craft. They worked so hard at it. They deserved. Yeah. They deserved to be it. That was around the time of uh, Lenny Bruce. I mean, comedy was really changing at that time. You didn't have the sort of vaudeville thing. Well, you had that, but then it sort of evolved into... It was stand-up. Yeah. Clear stand-up. Uh, uh, I'm still trying to remember the name of the actor. Yeah, L- L- Jay anyway. somebody. Yeah. yeah, Jay Moore. No, never mind. Never. Yeah. I can't remember it. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Walker. Jimmy Walker. That's right. JJ. Yeah. Before it became JJ. Right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That that is right. And that was around the time that. Um, Jackie Mason also. That's right, Jackie Mason. But I was thinking of Richard Pryor because Richard Pryor was doing sort of, you know, non-blue. You know, it wasn't the profane sort of, you know, the Richard Pryor of the 60s was very different from the Richard Pryor of the 70s. Yeah, I never met him. But all the other guys, Mm -hmm. great bunch of guys. Yeah, yeah. Wow, what what an interesting time. And... um, what what made you what what was the transition from you getting from I guess singing into theater? What was your first role? Uh, the first, well, what got me into that is a uh, if you're listening, Steve, uh, a man named Steve Tucker who uh, is one of my closest friends. We grew up in baby carriages next to each other, <laughs> and Steve uh, was studying at the Herbert Burgos Studio in New York, Uta Hagen and so forth. Oh, nice and. Uh, and I was doing the singing. I was studying. I was actually studying classical and singing pop and jazz. Mm-hmm. And he said, "You know, why don't you come down and take a class?" And I said, uh, "So I spoke to my voice teacher, and he said, I said, you know, he's talking to me about taking some acting classes. What do you think?'" He said, "Focus on this. And I'll let you know when I think you should go." And it was when one day I remembered I was doing some song, and he said, "I think you should go now." Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so that's when I started studying there, and the first thing I ever did, and I had no idea what I was doing, was uh, waiting for Godot. Ah, cool, very cool. Why that was thrown to me as seen in scenes, mm-hmm. why that was thrown to me as a beginning actor, I have no idea. Mm. Uh, it wasn't the smartest thing. <laughs> but um, well, that's, that, that's plunging into the ocean. Yeah. yeah. After that, it was the, um, the Fantastics. Yeah, that's right, the longest-running musical. Yeah. In Broadway history. And I did it in Boston. Yeah. And um, it was an audition. Also, mm-hmm. um, the other early thing was I, my musical theater teacher at Berghoff, 
left to direct the um, Toronto Company of Hair. Yeah. And he was gone a couple of months, and he called a couple of us that had been in his class. Yeah. And he said, we have some chorus spots open. How would you like to come up to Toronto and do it? And, of course, it was a couple of days later. Yeah. It was Canada. Wow. So that was the, the beginning of stuff. Wow, that's right here. You know, I was just reading, um, I don't know why, but I was reading about Tim Curry, mm-hmm. who, of course, I think he was in the, uh, the production of Hair before he went into the, did the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And, of course, you know, that exploded. You have no idea whether a small, you know, theatrical production will blow up and become s- something big. It's amazing. Just, just amazing. Another one, I remember it started off as a small little play off Ninth Avenue was Boys in the Band. Wow. And... That launched, whose name I also forget right mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. Uh, the lead character in that. Yeah. And I'm I'm great with names. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I can remember phone numbers, but not Sure. Names. When you mentioned the Fantastics, one of my favorite songs, Try to Remember That. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sung by El Gallo. Yeah. In the beginning. I've done, um, um, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. When I went to audition for uh, the production in Boston. Yeah. They, they had me sing first, and they said, oh, that's, that's really good. Could you do another one? And I sang another song. Mm-hmm. And they said, that's great. We'll call you. And uh, next morning, I got a phone call saying, we'd like to cast you as the mute. <laughs> <laughs> well, I you, don't, you don't have to get off book, right? <laughs> I wasn't sure how to take that. Um, but I realized how... how oh. How pivotal the mute, mute was. Yeah. I've got to make myself feel better. Sure. But I've done that. I've done Henry twice, mm-hmm. Henry the old actor. And I also did Huckle- Huckleby most recently. Yeah. So I've done a number of characters, and it's just, no matter how many times you do that show, it's fresh. Yeah. The cast can be fresh, but you, every night is just, it's magical. Yeah. The, uh, the last time I did this, we did a speed through. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's no music. We're just sitting there doing a speed through. And you realize the whole piece was a piece of prose. Mm, yeah. It stood by itself. Yeah. And wonderful writing. Just wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. The fantastic. They've got to do that more and more and more because uh, I, I just don't see it anymore. It's around. It, yeah. It, it pops up here every now and then. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it's timeless. Yeah. It's timeless. And I was just, you know, as you were talking so many new musicals, not revivals, but, you know, you, you get to see lots of writers. I think Andrew Lloyd Webber was creating all sorts of cool stuff. Jesus Christ Superstar, I think, and Godspell, along with Fantastics and um, the Rocky Horror Picture Show and, um, mm-hmm. and, and all Hair and all of that stuff. And then we had Sondheim enter the scene. That's right, Stephen Sondheim. Well, he was around in the 50s, but, yeah, he, um, you know, I, I could definitely see you as um, Sweeney Todd. The Demon Barber. The Judge. The Judge. Judge Turpin. Mm-hmm. Did you play the Judge? Mm-hmm. Wow. I did. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a Sondheim worshiper. So am I. Love him. I've got two portraits in my house of him. Wow. <laughs> did you ever meet him? I, I waited outside. Fr- my friend in New York mm-hmm. uh, was a friend of one of his attorneys. Yeah. So the shortest story is I got to go in to New York and see opening nights of Sunday in the Park. With George, yeah. Of Sweeney, mm-hmm. of, um, um, oh, great. Here we uh, go. There's Auntie Mame. Uh, let's see. There's, um, oh, shucks. Oh, uh, there's, oh there's Company. There's also um, A Little Night Music. Uh, Little Night Music I've done three times. Okay. Yeah. I can't believe I'm not remembering the issue. I'll, yeah. When you ask me something else, I'll remember sure, that. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Yeah. yeah. But uh, was it, it was um, – oh, never mind. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> Sorry, Rich. Yeah. And, and of course, he did uh, Assassins, but that was a long – that was much, brilliant. much later. Yeah. Unfortunately, the show, but brilliant, brilliant. He just sort of – he's got a show now. Mm-hmm. That I think he finished the first act about two years ago, mm. and it's still being rewritten and rewritten. And I hope we see it. Yeah, I hope it comes to pass. But the last interview I saw with him, in talking about it, he, uh, the interviewer asked him, "Well, what is it about?" He said, "Well, are you familiar with the two Louis Buñuel fu- films, um, 
uh, one would be Exterminating Angel, mm-hmm. and the other one is, again, the name I don't recall. But basically, he said, yes, in the, in the first act, people get together, get to know each other, and go to this dinner. And in the second act, people have their dinner together and die. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, it's one of your shows. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I've got to add, yeah, I love Sondheim. And I didn't realize he was still creating, so that's fantastic. He is. Um, I, you know, he's in his, getting close to his mid-80s now, like, approximately. Yeah. So, you know, I think he's, he's, he's one of our 20th century brilliance. He's a national know. treasure. I mean, he's one of the last great, I mean, there's, there are, so, you know, musical theater has changed so much now. You know, you get... Uh, Rent, and you get uh, Into Heights. The music is very different. Hamilton, it's not as, um, I I should say, a classic. It's not as classic as as what you get from Sondheim. That, and uh, and he's an acquired taste, Mm -hmm. I I realize, to some. Uh, But, you know, I've, I've seen, gone through the eras when we had original productions here in the United States. Yeah. And then for the longest period, we had a lot of shows from England mm-hmm. coming over. Yeah. And thank goodness they were writing mm-hmm. and that we got their shows. For me, these rock shows, and I don't know if it's because of my age or what, but they yeah. incessantly sound the same to me. I There's a song here and there that I may like, but sure. I don't... I've aged out of roles for that, so yeah. maybe I'm a little biased, but I just... I don't know. It's just repetitious sound to me. And I yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's funny. When I was going to school, especially when I was doing a lot of musical theater, training for musical theater, we were taught to learn the classics, the Amer- Great American Songbook, Rodgers and Hammerstein, mm-hmm. Rodgers and Hart, mm-hmm. uh, Gershwin, all of those stuff, I'm Cole ast- Porter. I'm astounded at uh, – I have satellite radio in the yeah. car, and I'm astounded that there's a Sinatra, a Sinatra station. Yeah. There are other – uh, singers and musicians played on it, but yeah. but he's the essence of it. It there is rarely a song that I don't know the lyrics to. It's scary sometimes. Mm-hmm. They realize I I used to lock myself in my bedroom when I was about sixteen or seventeen, mm-hmm. singing along to Sinatra's uh, either conducted by uh, Nelson Riddle mm-hmm. or whoever's was conducted, and yeah. you play the first two notes. Yeah, I know what the song is. Sure, and so forth. Yeah. Uh, Remembering lyrics now gets tougher, but but yeah. those I still carry around with me. I bet if I if, if I did something like I love New York in June, how about you? There you go. See, <laughs> <laughs> or also, um, I I'm, were you a fan of the Velvet Fog? Um, what was the guy's name? Mel Torme. Mel Torme. Absolutely. Yeah. I have most things that he's ever I recorded. I love to watch the moonlight with arms about you, and right from the start, there's love in my heart. Yeah, he he was fantastic. He. He was such a, an easy jazz singer. His his whole I don't know if Ella Fitzgerald popularized uh, scatting mm-hmm. or if it was Mel Torme. Yeah, They're both brilliant at it. Yeah, but he was just a natural instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah, one of a kind. Yeah, and also a great arranger. Um, may, people may not know, but he wrote the Christmas song. Chestnuts wrote "Sing on an Open Fire." One of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. I had uh, done, and I've also had Christmas caroling groups for about 20 years. I don't mm-hmm. book them anymore, but couldn't wait till we got to that arrangement. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, those are fantastic. Um, now, what brought you to the Bay? What brought me here? Well, let's see. I think having grown up in New York as an only child mm-hmm. uh, with a overly interested mom, mm-hmm. um, I think it was my escape to freedom. Sure. Uh, it was the furthest I could go and still be in the country. Yeah, I hear you. So my wife and I uh, <coughs> left at the time and came out here in 1971, I believe it was. Wow. Yeah. And um, went to L.A. first. After six weeks, realized that was not the place for us. Mm. So I came out to San Francisco, and uh, we got divorced couple of years later, she went back to New York with my then son, mm-hmm. and uh, I stayed. I, I liked it here. Yeah. Uh, there were some things I grew to not like here, like everybody else, like traffic and congestion and those kind of things. Yeah. But I liked it. Um, the problem that I found here is that that equity card mm-hmm. that I was thrilled about in New York 
was not so thrilling out here. I think there were four main equity houses when I came out here. Mm. And you weren't going to get any work that way. Yeah. So I uh, took honorable, dis uh, not discharge, yeah. thinking of the Army, uh, honorable withdrawal. Sure. Uh, to start doing some things out here. Yeah. And I, when I was out here, I, I, was, I was working in uh, nonprofit situations and doing it more as a hobby or trying to get into it. Mm -hmm. And that probably went on for about 10 years or a little more before I went full-time into it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, people ask me sometimes, what, what do you like doing best in it? I said, it's, it's not what I do, it's who I am. Yeah, yeah. It, and that's not an egotistical <coughs> expression at all. It, it's, it's, I feel like everything comes from the inside. Yeah. And uh, I love to sing. I love, I never thought about being a vocal director. I, uh, I studied a little bit about conducting, and then I had a wonderful conductor in the symphony chorus mm -hmm. in the name of Lou Mager. Yeah. And, um, I just thought that it's something I could do, and I went and interviewed for a uh, vocal director out at what was then the Pleasanton Playhouse, which is my Tri-Valley rep, mm -hmm. and uh, they hired me, and matter of fact, I asked why they hired me <laughs> mm -hmm. a couple of weeks into it, and they said, well, we thought you could do this, and uh, King and I was the first show ah, that I nice. con conducted there, Yeah, and in the middle of it, they asked me to do South Pacific, which was coming up next. Yeah. So that began to open those doors for me. Yeah, cool. Um, so that's, you know, I was building different areas, and what mm -hmm. I'm finding is is that as you age out of certain roles, mm -hmm. where you're not the lead anymore, you sure. may be the uncle who gets a song, Sure. Um, that there needs to be, I need to be involved in other things other than being a lead in a show, which is... Yeah, it's a way of diversifying yourself and making yourself more, um, I guess, useful. And all of us ha will have to go through that. We've yeah. had a lot of women come on, and they've talked about how they loved being the young young ingenue, and then all of a sudden they're 40 or 50 or whatever. And I think it's a lot harder being aunt. older for the woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're the aunt, or, you know, they're a role they really wouldn't want to be. But in order to get a role, they have to yeah. make that make that adjustment. What was Bay Area Theater like in, in the 70s? I'm sure there's a big transition between then and now. Well, first, there's a whole lot more theater. Mm. That's the first thing. Uh, in the face of National Endowment of the Arts, cutting back every a couple of years, you hear how they're slicing and dicing that. Uh, fundraising goes through bad periods, just like the economy in yeah. terms of theater. But somehow... Theater program theaters have expanded. More people have tried it. More programs in theater have been introduced in high schools yeah. and in colleges. <coughs> so I see it supported a lot more. There's a lot more places for people to get their feet wet, mm -hmm. uh, which, it, which is great. And the other thing is I've watched a couple of theater companies, uh, which I won't name out here, even though it's a positive about them, but where – at certain points, artistic directors changed. Mm. Uh, I know that you've worked in one of those one of those theaters, and as the uh, let's just call it a change in artistic directors sure, happened, sure. the level of the plays would come up. Yeah, more difficult plays would be tried. That lured better directors. Yep. That lured better actors. Yep. So I think the whole community theater and regional theater scene has come up a several levels. In 30 years. Oh, so you right think there. things are actually much better now? Quality-wise, I do. Oh, fascinating. I, I yeah. do, yes. And I was just thinking, you know, when, it, when we talk about National Endowment for the Arts and, and scholarships and grants and all that stuff, I also think about politics. And, you know, it, when you came here in the early 70s, that's the Nixon administration. And I'm sure the federal government, they looked down upon the arts. And I'm sure, you know, you had a lot, I'm sure it was a lot more difficult getting grants and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, of course, during the Reagan administration in the 80s, you know. Yeah, I, I wasn't – my we were still married then. I wasn't involved uh, that much in, in music or theater. But I do remember working for a Title III program, mm. uh, and I was doing multimedia projects for the Board of Education in San Francisco. Oh, okay. And uh, when Nixon cut some of those grants, I remember that was the first job I lost yeah. out here Yeah. because of that. 
Wow. I was just thinking, you must have been here in the Bay Area during the time of a really tumultuous time in San Francisco. I'm thinking more about Jim Jones and Diane Feinstein and, and um, when um, Harvey Milk and, you know, the assassination yeah. of Harvey Milk and, and, um, and what was the mayor at the time? Moscone. Moscone. What I was sang, it like during that time? I sang at his funeral. Wow. Is that right? Yeah. Well, it was just it was the St. Mary's Cathedral sure, Choir. Sure, sure, But, yeah, I remember that. It, it's – I don't know what to say about that. I mean, we had already lived through a lot of assassinations. Yeah. Uh, here I was on another coast, and then, you know, some loose cannon took his life. Sure. Moscone's life. Yeah. He was just I, – I worked for the Mental Health Association at that time, and I met him a few times. Yeah. Really nice, nice man. Yeah. Is, it, is this Moscone or Milk? Moscone. Moscone, yeah. Harvey Milk I never met. Okay. Never met. Yeah. But what an amazing force he was. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, cra- crazy times. And even the, pe- the People's Temple was around at that time. And, yeah, and of course, right. no one been who could know that, you know, a, a a church that was giving to the people and helping people out and also becoming socially, uh, politically involved all of a sudden would go that direction. I recently watched a uh, a movie, well, a documentary movie about about that period, and I always knew the events and a lot of the details, but not as in depth as I saw sure. the, the the absolute control over people not being able to leave that island. Yeah, how much power he had, yeah. Jones had over over the people there, and how many. How many were lured there? That's right, 900. And a lot of them were there because they, number one, they had a family that they didn't have in their own personal lives, and also they were in need, you know. It's kind of like Glide Church, you know. You know, I'm sure Amos Brown is doing a fantastic job, but let's say if he ever became a megalomaniac, I mean, when you have people who are in need, you know, the, the homeless and for those who are, you know, fighting addiction, that's why they came to the People's Temple. Is, uh, just, I'm obviously not up to date on this, is um, Cecil Williams still with church or is he alive? Uh, I don't know. I have to check. I, I haven't followed up. I've always thought that Amos Brown was sort of uh, still huh. in charge of Glide. But I, yeah. I, have to, I have to check it out. But, yeah, uh, yeah so that was the uh, the 70s and the 80s. And um, so now um, in the digital age, I guess uh, how – well, actually, I want to talk about technique because you had brought up Uga, Uda Hagen. I remember being in school. I went to Duke Ellington School of the Arts in D.C., and then later went to NYU. And one of the books I had to read was Respect for Acting, written uh, by Uta Hagen. It's, it's one of the Bibles. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the good books. Sure. <laughs> Were you a um, – did you study, like, um, the Meisner Technique or Uta Hagen or um, in any of those, like Stanislavski, any of that Stanislavski, stuff? I think uh, pretty much that was the most prevalent um, at the time, but also uh, have done some Meisner classes and so forth. But mm-hmm. it, there's a, a wonderful teacher, and if you're listening, Michael, uh, named Michael French mm-hmm. in the Bay Area, who I think is a marvelous teacher. And I, I, his technique, he brings from, from England and France. And I asked him once, whose method is this? He said, mm, let's just call it mine. Mm-hmm. But it's a combination. It's a combination of things. So there's one. It, after a while, you find that all roads lead to Rome. Yeah. Uh, whatever whatever works for you, oftentimes it's a combination of things. Yeah. Uh, I think it was, um, well, I forget the actor's name, of course, because I forget names, but talked about his most of his preparation came when he put a costume on. Mm. Yeah. And I remember when I did A Little Night Music, yeah. as, as captivating as Frederick is as a role, mm-hmm. When I finally put on the clothes I was going to wear for it and yeah. in the mirror, it was a leap. Wow. A leap, in t- a further leap into that role. That yeah. It, it, it really does impact you. Frederick, is he the one who does, now, as the sweet yeah, of the facilities, facilities tumble so lavishly onto her lap? How do you know that? <laughs> That's one of my um, audition songs. Oh, really? <laughs> I have no idea why, because I don't know if I'm the, of that age. I'm probably of that age now. Well, they probably <laughs> stop you at the 32 bars. Yeah. Because you won't be here 10 minutes otherwise. I remember giving it to the pianist, and he was like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, that's one thing I, I you know, God love pianists, but it, it – Unless I'm going to audition for a Sondheim show where I expect the accompanist is going to be able to play Sondheim, yeah. I never go in with a Sondheim show. I'm always fearful that sure. the pianist is just 
not going to get it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I That makes a lot of sense. I, did, I risked it once. It was a mistake. Mm-hmm. I won't do it again. Yeah. No, no, I understand. Little Light Music is a be- beautiful, beautiful piece. Um, beautiful musical. Um, you know, we, Norman and I, we've had a lot of debates on whether it's prudent to even go to school for acting or if you just have the natural talent. You know, he, well, our theory, I guess, is if you have things you need to break out of, if you have bad habits or cliches or clicks, you know, anything that can get you in the moment, that can help you create the fourth wall to create the um, whatever you need to create on stage to make mm-hmm. it real. If you if that technique gets you there, as you just said, all roads lead to Rome. Mm-hmm. If it'll get you there, then that'll be fine. Some folks may not need it. What do you think about? I don't agree. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I can only not agree for me. Sure. Um, I think that it's one thing to be uh, to have. Uh, let me liken it to something. A lot of people have uh, can play the piano. Sure. Not everybody is a pianist. Right. Uh, what you have naturally inside, I think, goes just so far. How to pull it out of you, how to shape it. It's hard to, to just look in a mirror at yourself. It's hard to be objective. Sure. There are approaches. Um, this is Michael French who I was talking about. I was doing a scene in his class, and uh, it starts off in a park. And I'm sitting on a bench, and I'm reading, and somebody else enters. And it just, it just was not working. He said, I want, you to, uh, I want you to take about 45 seconds coming into that park, and I, wanna f- I, want you to, I want people to be able to see a park. I want you to do whatever you might be doing upon entering a park. You might be looking for a bench. Is this one dry because it just rained a little bit? Maybe you've got a piece of paper that you want to throw into the trash can. Oh, look, there's a dog. Maybe you want to stop and pet the dog a little bit, look around. Uh, where's the sunlight? Okay, that way will help me read and then sit down on the bench. Yeah, there you go. And all that prep work <coughs> is terrific. Yeah. It's yeah. just terrific. Um, so I think people's ideas. And then, it, and then it's like, how many – have you ever signed up for a gym and not gone? <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. We're not alone. Yeah. Uh, the fact that you have to show up for lessons – the fact that you've paid for a class, yeah. the fact that you have to go reinforces, uh, ah, I'm tired today, I don't feel like practicing. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I know that. I don't have to go over that today. Mm. Yes, you do. Yeah. Yes, you do. And there's somebody <coughs> who you're paying to do it, and you're going to have to pay for it even if you don't show up. Yeah. I'm so a bit, I, that's yeah. what I feel. Well, I'm a bit, I've always been a proponent of, um, of some sort of a method. Uh, you know, I went to school, and I studied a little bit of um, – of, of of method acting, any you know, like sense memory, you know, something uh-huh. to ground you, um, you know, if you need to harbor an emotion, you know, what was the uh, when you, the last time you got into a fight you, or you cried, what was the music that was listening to, you know, what was the weather like? You I, know. I yeah, I totally accept that. As a matter of fact, this this um, music te- music teacher, the musical theater teacher that mm-hmm. went to Toronto, uh, there was a song I was doing in class. And he asked me to tell him about the song, and I did it again. And then he said, "What? What do you? What do you see? What? What? What is the music doing for you?" I said, "Well, I know the room I was in. I know what the woman looks like. Mm. Uh, I know what the woman feels like. Not to sound dramatic, but I know what she feels like." Sure. Et cetera. He said, um, "Where were you in the room?" I said, "On the couch." He said, "What was the fabric like?" Mm. Did you have your arm on the couch at all? He said, what was the fabric like? And I said, you know, it was felt, this felt, he said, sing it. And I started the song with the feel of the fabric on my head. It changed everything. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. <coughs> yeah. It is amazing. Yeah, that's what's in the And memory. somebody guided me there. Yeah. You know? One of the things that I, you know, when I first came out of school doing actual theater, because there was a time where I had to, I had to address the real world and pay off my student loans and all that stuff. <laughs> so I stopped theater cold turkey, and then I jumped back onto the stage. And I found myself, I'm like, I've got to remember what I learned in school because the, you know, today's directors may not be interested in, you know, going through all of that. And for mm-hmm. a while, as a young actor, I expected the director to act like my teacher. And, of course, they weren't because they were busy in other things. They expected me, hey, you know acting. That's what you got to do. 
Um, but do you do you revert back to I guess you know your old techniques or whatever when you're you're approaching a role, even if the director isn't even focusing on you? Uh, the answer is yes, and I also find that there are some directors who do very little. They block the show. Yeah, they make pictures on stage. Right. There are other other the other extremes. One actor, uh, one director, who gives you line readings, which mm. I think every actor hates. Yeah. Um, but I always like to be directed to something. I like to bring something there. Somebody said, that's great, or it's not working. Mm-hmm. Try so-and-so. Yeah. I like the guidance. Yeah. I like to put the two of us together. Yeah. That, that's my favorite. And as a matter of fact, I'm sure, uh, you know, especially nowadays, you're seeing directors, actors, producers, or whatever, of a totally newer, younger generation, a generation influenced by today's television shows or, you know, movies or whatever, do you think the quality of, I guess, because you get to see what people have been taught, like you get to see a 20-year-old coming out of school, what techniques they're using or not using or what have you. Mm-hmm. So I guess the question is what, is, what do you think the quality of the new actor or th- this new generation of actors or, or directors? Um, it's it's hard for me to compare uh, new new young actors because I don't know I don't remember a lot of new young actors I wasn't doing that at the time sure but I do think that there are are more resources around some of them are not so great either mm-hmm. but I think the people who are hitting them at earlier ages yeah there's there's more being offered to them yeah I think and I think San Francisco has a, a good glut uh, of teachers to be choosing from. Yeah. Uh, c- certainly in the vocal area. Uh, definitely in acting, <coughs> too. I think San Francisco State has contributed, uh, just to pull one out of the hat. Sure. Their theater department has contributed a great deal. Yeah. The fact that there are, Ohlone College does this um, theater festival mm-hmm. and a few others in California where high schools and colleges will send representatives or scenes or plays from their theater departments to this so people these kids are preparing Mm -hmm. major stuff uh to be seen by all of california and they're vying for awards here wow um i i was a judge for the last they didn't have the ohlone festival this year but the last three years i was was one of the many judges Mm -hmm. and you see people coming through with drama training and with musical theater training and with Shakespeare training. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the stuff that's coming out of these quote-unquote kids at that age, you know, 17 sure. and 18 years old, you're seeing there's a career standing there. Yeah. You know, yeah. some of them don't know that yet. But, boy, if they stay with this, mm-hmm. you can you can sense that the, 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 there's talent there to start with. Sure. I, I was a music director for the Adams Family musical. Oh, wow. Last year. Mm-hmm. And this is down in Fremont. And there were certain certain kids in that, in that class, in mm-hmm. that cast, that were just, I said, you know, if somebody needed a particular role to fill, if they saw this kid, mm-hmm. he'd be off to New York or be off to, I mean, somebody just that good. Yeah. And you know that, there, thank goodness there was a theater program there. Sure, sure. For, for that to come out of the person. Yeah. So yeah, no, I totally see it, and I can see, and also, yeah, I think today's kids, they they have parents who are, I guess, someone within my generation. I'm a generation Xer. I was born in '69. Uh, I suppose I would, our generation would be a lot more comfortable with a child, you know, pursuing theater, as opposed to another parent saying, "No, you're not going to do that. You're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever," which I'm sure was your generation. I mean, was your were your parents was your mom receptive to you doing art? N O. <laughs> um, by the way, the Sondheim play came to me just now. It's Into the Woods. I Into saw, the Woods. I saw of opening course. night of that. Of course, yeah. Um, no, and it's just it's really strange. Mm-hmm. My mother was uh, <coughs> offered a kind. Con- she was a band singer, hmm. and she was offered a at 20 years old a con- uh, an audition at pa- for Paramount to come out to Hollywood wow. and do an audition. Wow. She sang with Buddy Rogers' band yeah. in the 30s. Yeah. And my grandmother didn't let her go. You're mm. too young. I don't want you going 3,000 miles. You know, but it usually goes with it. Sure. And so it never happened. Wow. So I would have thought 
that when I applied to music at our high school in New York and got accepted, mm-hmm. well, I, the support would be there. No, she repeated the same thing my grandmother did uh, to her. Wow. And um, did not want to uh, – they didn't want me to go to – they wanted me to go to a high school, and then if you're still interested afterwards – well, I was still interested afterwards. I wound up in a regular high school mm-hmm. in the Bronx. Yeah. Um, and I was <coughs> still interested, and I wanted to go to UCLA. Mm. And they said, well, you know, financial circumstances kind of uh, prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was very interesting when uh, I graduated from City College in New York and uh, – was applying for a master's degree, they said, well, would you like to do that at UCLA? I said, gee, that's interesting. Dad's retired now. How come you can afford that now? Coincidentally, I was about to get engaged. (laughs) Okay. And I had a feeling, oh, they don't want me to get married. That's what it is. Ah. So that's (laughs) – They didn't like you you getting involved in theater. They didn't like your girlfriend. (laughs) Actually, they grew to like her. Okay. She was a very likable person, yeah. even though we're divorced. Yeah. Right. I would say we had a good marriage anyway. I was going to ask about your uh, – how many kids do you have? Are, are your kids involved in theater? My son, uh, Philip Cronengold, is a, a singer, plays all guitars, plays all keyboards, um, writes, wow. arranges. He's a super – Super talent. Right now, he's on tour with the Milk Carton Kids, okay, uh, which played here recently. He has played with Sarah Barillas mm-hmm. for a number of years. Uh, Jennifer Nettles, country mm-hmm. singer for a number of years. He's uh, he's like a musician's musician. Wow, he is. Uh, whenever I'm, um, <coughs> I go to see his performances, which I do every chance I get. Mm-hmm. Uh, Invariably, somebody in the band will know I'm his dad and come over to me and say, your son is amazing. He's just an amazing musician and such a joy to work with. Wow. It, gotta make sure, it has to make you proud. It, it's sort of beyond that. There's a Yiddish word called kvel. You kvel over something. You just you, you spill over. You know, <laughs> yeah. Much about yeah. Uh, Philip, is, his talent is daunting. And, yeah. I, you know, you could talk to him for half an hour, and unless you brought up the topic, you wouldn't know that he was a musician. Yeah, he's that unassuming. Wow, that that is fantastic. I was yeah. a little worried that because you know you and your wife divorced. I think you said in the early seventies, and sh- he went with her. That he wouldn't be able to glean all of the knowledge and all that stuff from yeah, you. Yeah, I don't know where you know that he necessarily got it from me. And um, he went to the American Boy Choir School mm-hmm. in in Princeton for that as starters. I didn't push him into that. And I do remember a conversation we had. I think he was eight years old. Mm. And I don't know how the topic came up. But I remember saying to him, I'm, I'm glad that you have this interest in music. That's great. The only stake I have in what you do is that it makes you smile yeah. and, and you're happy. I could care less if you're a shoemaker, mm-hmm. not to degrade shoemakers. Sure. But I could care less what you do as long as you're happy. Yeah. I'm thrilled that he followed this path. And the other thing about him is... He never even took a part-time job to help support himself. He said, no, I'm going to live by this craft. Wow. And Philip is 46 mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. and he's never varied from that path. Wow. That's so amazing. It, he, he's, he's amazing in many ways. Yeah. He's your only child? He's my only child. All right. Well, you were the in only keeping, child. In keeping the only with child. the family, yeah. Like <laughs> I think yeah. uh, there were five uh, – Aunts and uncles, mm-hmm. including including my dad, and of of the five, four had single had only one child. Interesting. And it was an era where people had four or five kids. Yeah. So we were all demons, I guess. You know? <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm you know that's having a big family is very expensive. So I think you you guys kept the cost down. That's my. That's what my parents said. I wondered since all my report cards in elementary school said need self control. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they don't put that on report cards anymore. Yeah, right? no. They I, just give you drugs instead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember uh, back in the days they would give us BGs, Gs, NGs, and you know they would handwrite you know comments and whatever. And I have no idea what the kids. As a matter of fact, I think a lot of them don't even get paper report cards. It's just you know all digital. Do you remember <laughs> uh, Ink Eradicator? Do you remember that? No. What was that? It was 
kind of like whiteout, except mm-hmm. what it, I don't know what the chemical was, but you put it over ink, and it did a fairly good job of of making the ink invisible. Interesting. So it was very popular with uh, some of us in junior high school when we brought our report cards home to be able to <laughs> add our finishing touches to them <laughs> in some way. Yeah, you know, before the mic, before we took cut on the mic, we were talking about computers because both of us are a bit uh, Mac, I would say Mac-o-files or Apple-files. Right. And uh, right. we were talking about we had our first computers, the Mac LC. Well, actually, you had a Mac LC, but that may, that may not have been your first computer. There was one before that. I don't remember. I know it had a hard drive. Yeah. I know it had a hard drive, but I don't remember what it was. I've had, I don't know, I guess six or seven Macs, and I've got one waiting for the new iMac to come in. Boy, that's expensive. That's, that's got to be at least $5,000, I think. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a Mac iMac Pro that's about $5,000. Right, that's one I was thinking about. But the iMac itself has gotten – that the new ones coming in now are so fast, and they you can order them with uh, digital – uh, not hard drives, but, you know, digital drives. SSDs, yeah. Yeah, and uh, infinitely faster than they've been. Yeah. So unless you're doing heavy video editing, mm-hmm. uh, these things are superstars. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, of course, this is And they're about the, the brand new ones. Mm-hmm. They haven't raised the prices on. Oh, interesting. From two years ago. So yeah. I think I think you can come in at, if the 21 inch is about $1,300, mm-hmm. and the... 27 inch is yeah. 1800 yeah. around that price range and then they'll start discounting them too I'm sure sure maybe they're unloading for a new a newer new computer but um that was yeah. my first thought <laughs> <laughs> but I remember the days uh, you know even when Steve Jobs and the Apple one of course I was just a kid back then and just the advent of the computer I mean my my mom was um, she was involved in she worked in a lot of federal government agencies. I, I was, grew up in Washington, D.C., so that was sort of the industry. And she was a secretary, and um, I would go to her office sometimes, and she would have these Wang computers. I don't know if you remember Wang. the Wangs. Oh, God. <laughs> I've heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> I never saw one. There were the uh, black screen and the green writing. The green writing, yes. And the, I think the Doc Matrix printer, which would make a lot of noise. <laughs> Um, I think that was a document. It was, but they lasted forever. Yeah, 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 that's right. And, of course, the IBM PCs, that was around when I was in college. And, of course, the Commodore 64s and and all of that stuff. I saw the advent of that. See, and I was on a royal typewriter. Yeah. When you mentioned, I don't remember what year you said you were born. 69. 69. So you're a baby. Yeah. That's, that's, well, thank you. You're, <laughs> you're, you're way younger than me. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, that's why I walked into the to uh, Pacific Bell, where I was going to work at the time, and said, mm-hmm. where's the typewriter? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I remember I'm one of the last of the generations to re- remember typing, learning how to type on a typewriter. It was a manual typewriter. I was in mm-hmm. junior high school. It didn't even have the letters written on it. So we had to we had to remember. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Gosh. And I remember walking to temp agencies. This is like in the early 90s. I remember how the IBM PCs, they didn't have the mouse. You had to remember, like Alt and like Alt That's F4 right. would move the cursor. Right. And control F4 would do this and Shift F4. See, I didn't have to struggle with that. See? <laughs> I had it much easier. And and to this day, yeah, I type just as fast as I did then. Is that right? About thirty-two words a minute. Yeah, yeah. With mistakes. I'm always fascinated when they say, "Well, we need you to type a hundred words." I haven't had one boss in my life ever ask me to type fast. <laughs> There, my aunt won awards. I was told uh-huh. um, it's contest, 140 words a minute uh-huh. that she could type. Wow! Uh, I I couldn't do that with just hitting key, with keys <laughs> randomly. But, yeah, well, yeah. those are fun times. Well, we've hit the one hour mark. It's been really, really a fun okay. time talking. Do uh, I have a time to put in a quick plug for uh, something? Well, of course, we're going to plug in all the way, but uh, go for it. Okay, um, this no, not this Sunday. Uh, April 7th, Sunday evening, 7 o'clock at the Palace of Fine Arts, there will be a concert called Name That Tune. This is put on by a group called Sing for America, which does fundraising for performing arts and other charities around the whole Bay Area. And the unique thing about this group is that each member of the chorus, or if you're a soloist for it, gets to choose which charity or which performing arts company they want to support. 
So they raise funds for their own choice. Wow. And so there are tickets sold to the concert, which again is 7 o'clock this coming uh, Sunday, April 7th at the Palace Fine Arts in San Francisco. Uh, it's quite a diverse program, and the music is very good. But so each chorus person, when they, depending on the contributions they have managed to elicit, and the drug, the ticket sales, the drug sales, I was going to say, the the ticket sales <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that they that they amassed, half of that money goes to the organization of their choice. Oh, that's fantastic. The other half goes to Sing for America to help sustain itself. Yeah, and it's just this fascinating collection of people, some of who are new at singing, others who are paid professionals, mm-hmm. uh, with a wonderful conductor, Brett Schrader, who do this every year, and the beneficiaries, these performing arts groups or charities. And yeah. It, it's, it's just a, a, a wonderful thing to have happened in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, there are still tickets available uh, for Sunday, April 7th. I highly recommend it. All right. And uh, what's the name of the organization again? Sing for America. Sing, Sing for America. It sounds maybe like tune. some patriotic or <laughs> uh, political. It isn't. Yeah. I didn't name it, but I don't know how the name got there, but mm-hmm. it just happened to be called that. Yeah. If you send me a link, I'll put the link in when I uh, post the show. Sing for America and uh, name that tune. That sounds fun. Yeah. And uh, is, is it only just one weekend or one night? One night. April the 7th. April the 7th. Each right. year, each year, it's, this is the eighth year, I believe. Uh-huh. It's done one night only. All righty. Yeah. And also, I'm going to plug a good friend of mine, Adrian Dean, is in Helen at the Theater of Yugen. Um, I was shopping. I was uh, picking up some dry cleaning uh, earlier today in San Francisco. And I picked up a very ancient thing. Was it a newspaper? <laughs> no one reads a newspaper anymore. And uh, in the San Francisco Examiner, there was this uh, wonderful picture of Adrian Dean, she was a former. Uh, she was a. There's an episode of Adrian Dean uh, here. It was she was a guest on the Yay, um, and so I wanted to promote the show that she's in because she's prominently featured in the show Helen. I believe so. Retelling mm-hmm. of Helen of Troy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And that'll be at the No Space at two eight four zero Mariposa Street, um, eight p.m. Fridays, uh, eight p.m. Saturdays, one p.m. Sunday. It closes April the twenty seventh org. so I will uh, plug that. Also, of course, all the way, that will be at the Contra Costa Civic Theater, April the 12th through May the 5th, 2019. Also, La Ronde, uh, Cutting Ball Theater, uh, a good friend of mine, Janae Simon, who was in, uh, I acted with her in Civil War Christmas. Um, but in any case, La Ronde, that, uh, that, that's been running since March the 14th, that ends April the 14th. That's a great show. You got to go see it. Also, uh, good friends of mine, uh, good friends of ours, Alicia von Kugelgen, right. along with um, I don't know if you know who uh, Dana Lowenthal is, but name sounds familiar, but no, I don't. Yeah, so that's a two women show, uh, the mystery of Irma Vep. Uh, that'll be uh, oh yes, okay, yeah, April the twelfth through April the twenty eighth. Michael Reynolds is directing that. Yeah, yeah, role players ensemble. So you got to check that out. Mm-hmm. And that is it. Uh, did you have a yeah. good time? I had a very relaxing time. Um, <laughs> I would have preferred a different kind of tea, but uh, <laughs> you've been, you're very generous with the tea. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. I, I do want to add something that um, in case you tuned in a little, a little later than when the show started, All the Way is not a bio of Frank Sinatra. <laughs> all, the, all the Way is a... Um, about Lyndon Baines Johnson, if you remember, all the way with LBJ. And it's about the period That's of time right. from the day that Johnson took office in the plane after Kennedy was assassinated mm-hmm. until 11 months later when he was actually voted into office. And all the politics behind the scenes that went on in trying to get the Civil Rights Bill passed. Yeah, it's an amazing cast. Uh, it, you have Kari Moy, who was a, a, um, a guest on the Yay. You have, um, you have, of course, Jane Cronengold. You have um, Kim Donovan, um, who you know we've talked about before, and she's been a guest on the A. Also, Terrence Smith, and a bunch of other uh, folks. And you'll see it's if a you great see the collection play. Of actors. Yeah, I mean, you, you get to see Martin Luther King Jr. and Ralph Abernathy. Um, I forget Roy Wilkins. I Roy think. Roy Wilkins. Yeah. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Wallace. 
Yeah. Uh, the Dixiecrat senators like uh, uh, Strom Thurmond. Sure. And uh, oh, yeah. Go on and on. I'm sure. I'm sure Goldwater's in there too because he ran against LBJ in Goldwater is in there by name. Got it. He, he's not actually a character in the show. Okay. But you've got about. 18, 20 actors playing 30-some-odd roles. Yeah. It's a great way to learn about the civil rights movement, to learn about a little bit about history and that little pocket in history between the death of Kennedy and uh, Lyndon B. Johnson being elected, which is really just a short period of time. There was so much happening uh, during that time. Yeah. 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 And it's – and it's a great theater space to do it in, too. Yeah. Uh, Contra Contra Costa is fantastic. Contra Costa Civic Theater and – Marilyn, the artistic director, Marilyn too. Marilyn Beck. She is, she is directing it. Yeah. So that's another plus. Absolutely. All right, Jay. Well, thank you so much. Um, do you have a, a, like a Twitter feed or Instagram? Or are you, do you do any of that stuff? I don't. Okay. I don't. But I, you are, I, you're on Facebook. I am on Facebook. Uh, I get bogged down enough with 50, 60 emails a day, most of which are junk. But <laughs> – uh, to sign up for anything else, you know, yeah. that's what I'd have to do for life. I guess. Sure. Yeah. But if anyone's looking for a fantastic singer or even, you know, a director, if you need a musical director, Chade uh, Croningold, it would be fantastic. Thank you very much. All righty. Well, let me give you my blurb. You can find the Yay on the Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. If you, uh, you know, really any app that you use to listen to podcasts, search for the Yay, you'll find us. If you're an old stogie like me and uh, you want to listen on your desktop or laptop, you can go on iTunes. Just click on iTunes, click on store. You're not going to buy anything. Use the search engine on the upper right-hand side and search for the Yay, You'll Find Us. For Android users, download download the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com and you will find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. You'll find me at Reg Space Clay. You'll find Norman G at HoosierHoosier.com. Hoosier Hoosier. And that's it. Thank you so much. This is uh, on our Wednesday, and uh, we will go back to our daily lives. And we got to find a better sign-off. We are out. <laughs>